welcome, and thank you for standing by. All participants will be able to listen only for the duration of today's call. This conference is being recorded. If you have any objections, please disconnect at this time. I would now like to turn the call over to Mary Beth Sheridan, correspondent for the Washington Post in Mexico. Thank you. You may begin. Thank you, and good morning. Welcome to the Wilson Center's Ground Truth Briefing, hosted by the Mexico Institute, uh, to discuss the virtual summit uh, yesterday between President Andres Manuel López Obrador and President Biden. Uh, I'm Mary Beth Sheridan, correspondent in Mexico for the Washington Post, and we have four excellent commentators to assess what this meeting tells us. Um, I'll do just a very quick introduction of our guests. Uh, we have Andrew Redman, the new director of the Wilson Center's Mexico Institute. Um, he has spent years as a consultant and a U.S. diplomat dealing with Latin America issues. We have Ambassador Anthony Wayne, who headed the U.S. Embassy in Mexico and Argentina and has had a distinguished career in diplomacy and academia. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Luis Rubio, president of um, Mexico Evalúa, a very prominent think tank, and he's a well-known columnist for Reforma newspaper. And Lila Abed, who is a correspondent for El Heraldo de Mexico in Washington, and she has worked in the Mexican federal government previously for several years. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Um, I'd like to ask, there's a sense, certainly in Mexico, that President López Obrador's relationship with the Biden administration has not been as warm as his uh, relationship with the Trump administration. I'm curious what you take away from the meeting yesterday. Do you see any signs of that changing? Um, Dr. Rubio, could I start with you? Sure, thank you. Um my my take is that both sides cover their base uh, well, but they aim and not much more than that. Um, so they aim low and achieved exactly what they aimed for. If one listens carefully at the Mexican president's wording, including his lessons of history, his true message was respect and sovereignty. The words all Mexican presidents through the two-thirds of the 20th century repeatedly uttered. President Biden's words were tailor-made for López Obrador, um, and in that sense, both sides can say that all topics were broached, but there were no commitments or big projects planned ahead, which is, which is perfect for López Obrador. He can now claim victory and move on, uh, which is exactly what he was doing with President Trump, and they understood each other simply because they uh, neither wanted to participate or intervene in, in, in the other country's politics, which is one of the concerns that the, the, the Lopez administration has, that the Democrats at, um, Biden, uh, at Biden's, in, in Biden's administration will try to influence Mexican domestic policy and politics. And in this, uh, uh, the contrast with with uh, President Biden's call to Prime Minister Trudeau is obviously dramatic, and nothing summarizes this better than the contrast in the, in the depth of what they were aiming at. They talked about technology and science and the future, whereas President López Obrador was asking for a, a new Bracera program, which is a 1950s, 40s, and 50s program. That, I think, summarizes what we saw yesterday. Thanks so much. Um, Lila Abed, uh, what are you reporting back to your readers in Mexico? Uh, what, what struck you as interesting about the meeting yesterday? 
Well, yes, I agree with, with Lisa in the sense that I think they covered their basis. And, you know, the, the most important topics as migration, COVID, climate change were all covered um, initially in, in this meeting. I thought, you know, it was very interesting um, to see that, you know, besides the fact that, like Lee said, um, he did mention this phrase that, you know, it, I don't think was very welcomed in terms of the U.S. delegation that uh, former President Porfirio Diaz said, um, I, I think that there's a shift in Lopez Obrador's behavior and attitudes towards the United States since Biden uh, took office. And I, I think that what I'm, what I'm analyzing, what I'm seeing is, you know, since Biden um, won the election, I think that Lopez Obrador kind of has taken a, a stance where he's trying to defend his sovereignty, his domestic issues. He's kind of preparing for um, a Biden administration that might start um, getting more involved and asking questions about accountability in certain issues such as violation of human rights, insecurity, labor rights, um, the new climate change uh, chapter that's included in the new USMCA. And so I think that it's interesting that while Trump was in office, um, you know, when he pushed all these unilateral actions towards Mexico from, you know, separating families on the border, from threatening to put tariffs on Mexican imports that led to the Remain in Mexico program that ultimately pushed the Mexican National Guard towards the border with the United States to defend the U.S. Um, migration interests. Um, we see that now with Biden, um, Andres Manuel López Obrador has taken kind of a more proactive approach to the bilateral uh, relationship, whereas with Trump's policies, he really offered no resistance whenever anything was asked of Mexico from the former administration. And we see that even though Andres Manuel left with his um, hands empty in terms of the petition to ask the Biden administration for vaccines to, to Mexico, um, Luis mentioned it, the workers program for Mexican and Central Americans in the U.S., which Biden's press secretary said the president was not considering. I think that it, it marks this um, new approach from Mexico and the Mexican government where they're trying to cover their bases, trying to defend their interests. Um, and we can see this also with what's happening in the Mexican Congress in terms of bills that um, are either passing or have been discussed recently in, in Congress from, you know, the bill uh, to the national security law that now limits and regulates foreign agents operating in Mexico to the bill that is now in the Senate um, concerning the electricity industry to the social media regulation bill that was presented to the Senate to the bill um, that would allow the Bank of Mexico to buy excess dollars that is currently in the House of Deputies. It's interesting that all of these issues kind of rise and started to pile on as soon as Biden won the election, whereas with Trump, there was very little resistance. And I think that we saw this um, in yesterday's meeting, even though um, he left empty-handed, I, I think that there's going to be a new way of approaching the bilateral relationship now that Biden's um, at the White House. Thank you so much. Um, Ambassador Wayne, I'm curious, you have watched uh, uh, Latin American politics from up close uh, for so many years. How does this meeting compare to uh, other sexenios, other uh, summits between U.S. and Mexican presidents that you've uh, been watching? Well, I, I think the main difference, if we look at this, is that this is the beginning of an effort by the Biden administration to rebuild the relationship in a different and more cooperative model. And I think they have decided that means that they need to start building confidence with this Mexican president. 
in a different way than we saw in the last two Mexican presidents where the agendas were, uh, there were points of disagreement, but they were much broader agendas to, to begin with um, and to work off of. And I think Luis's contrast with the agenda with Canada is quite striking in this sense. Uh, there's just a lot more to start working on between the Biden administration and the Lopez Obrador administration. Now, it's all covered in this joint declaration, and there are a couple of things in here that I think it's worth noting that haven't been mentioned. One is in the economic area. They agreed to restart something called the high-level economic dialogue, and this is a grouping where economic ministers and homeland security ministers from both governments get together and talk about managing the border, talk about uh, managing economic relations beyond just trade. And, and that was a very useful forum that existed before that was eliminated during the Trump administration. Um, secondly, there is a very clear reference to USMCA, and within that, not uh, prosperity and creating jobs, but also worker protections and preventing forced labor, which has been a very high priority in the United States uh, for Democrats and especially Democrats in Congress. And then the other the other important issues are, are touched. The, the, the highlight is on migration and cooperating there. And, and in that area, the, the State Department and Mexico's foreign ministry were charged with taking a lead effort to start engaging uh, the countries of Central America and private sector and civil society to help deal with that. Um, it's clear that uh, the Biden administration signaled its agreement to work with Lopez Obrador to deal, deal with the root causes of this migration, which was something that he, that Lopez Obrador first offered to Trump. Uh, the Trump administration initially said they agreed with that and then did nothing to, or very little to implement that. But it also has in here uh, improving the management of migration, which is very important for the United States, and where Mexico uh, still has very weak capacity, and then also developing the, the legal paths for migration, which, of course, is something that Pre President Biden has, has talked a lot about. And then secondly, the second priority was is dealing with COVID. Um, and I, I'm sure they did talk about vaccines and other things, but what they agreed was, yes, we need to work together to manage uh, our recovery from all the ill effects of COVID and manage this as we as we go forward. So there's a lot there to work with, but in and of itself, there's not a, a lot of specifics in this, and, and that stands out when you look at the uh, ag agreement, the pathway that was announced last week between the U.S. and Canada. Great. Thank you so much. Um, speaking of the pandemic, uh, Andrew, you have spent years working uh, in the health sector in, in Latin America. And I'm curious uh, about your thoughts. Uh, President Lopez Obrador did mention vaccines as a priority uh, that he was bringing into this meeting. It seemed like there uh, was no uh, agreement that came out of it that we heard of anyway. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts about, uh, was that a realistic goal of President Lopez Obrador? Or, uh, you know, how do you see the possibilities of the two countries working together on the pandemic? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Mary Beth. I, I think um, I, I think it was 
understandable why Lopez Obrador would make the ask and equally understandable why President Biden would not be able to honor it initially. And, you know, the at the moment, demand for vaccines uh, considerably outstrips supply here and everywhere else. And I think it would be really difficult for any politician, any president or anyone else to divert, to quote unquote, divert supply out of the country somewhere else. I think as production ramps up and more vaccines are approved, we're in, in this country very soon, uh, at least according to projections, going to get to a point where we do have more supply than demand. And I think at that point, it's very conceivable that the response would be different. But I actually think there's another way that the two countries could help each other more quickly, um, which would be to permit vaccination of each other's nationals when they live when they're resident legally in the other country uh, and meet other domestic criteria uh, so that nationality isn't an impediment to the ultimate goal, which is to vaccinate as many people as possible to reach herd immunity. For example, in in Mexico City now, they have said that non-Mexican citizens who live in the districts that are being vaccinated are eligible and the same kind, uh, they're also, I believe, uh, have agreed to vaccinate U.S. embassy employees and consulate employees. And I think a comparable agreement uh, uh, in the U.S. to allow Mexicans resident in the U.S. to get vaccines and sort of join the queue at the same point that, that an American citizen joins the queue in terms of age and underlying conditions, et cetera, that might be a way to, without sending vaccines back and forth across the border and discouraging vaccine tourism, it would be a way to uh, be a goodwill gesture, and it would also help uh, both countries' ultimate objective, which is to vaccinate as many people as possible. Thanks so much. Um, as, as has been mentioned, uh, I think uh, many people were surprised that uh, President Lopez Obrador developed this very warm relationship with President Trump. Obviously, AMLO had, you know, written a book, uh, uh, Oye Trump, we listen up Trump about complaining about his migration uh, ideas. That was before, obviously, Lopez Obrador was elected. So I'm curious, as we look at uh, Lopez Obrador's, it seems like a somewhat cooler relationship, at least initially, with President Biden. What are Lopez Obrador's motives? What are his, uh, what does he hope to gain out of the relationship with with Biden? And what, what explains his attitude towards the new administration? Um, Dr. Rubio, I wonder if you could talk about that. I, I think uh, Lila uh, pointed in, in that direction before. Um, President Trump and President Lopez Obrador are two nationalists, each wanting to preserve their own turf, and they didn't. They had no interest in, in intervening. That's a, a very Mexican word, very Mexican, very political word in Mexico, uh, in intervening in, in the other countries' affairs. Uh, and they, even even though President Trump did uh, alter one fundamental understanding in the relationship since the 1980s, which is to compartmentalize the issues, the problems, so that one issue, migration, for instance, would not impinge upon exports when he mixed the two things, um, that makes it very difficult to address and fix the problems. Uh, and the relationship has been working very well largely because the issues have been separated one from the other. President Trump uh, wanted, to, wanted to address his own internal issues in the U.S. 
And that's exactly what Lopez Obrador wanted in Mexico. Um, so it made for a perfect relationship between them because they understood each other well. The, the fear in the Lopez, administ uh, Lopez Obrador administration today is that the Democrats uh, under, under President Biden will be trying to, to force Mexico to address issues like corruption, like human rights, in addition to whatever comes as part of the, of the USMCA uh, in, in labor practices or the environment. Um, and then, so, so it, it become, it's become very defensive. It took advantage of the, of the conflict arising from the election in, in November to try to establish and demarcate its turf uh, head-on. Uh, and it's been doing so with initiatives, with bills like the one on, on domestic security, and now with electricity. Both have a perfectly logical rationale in, in traditional Mexican politics, but doing so at this time and in these circumstances is a clear message that they don't want the U.S. to meddle. Uh, and that, that's ultimately what the, the implicit message yesterday was. It was in a pretty nice tone, but the message was very clear. Thank you. And, and Leela, I'm curious, uh, what, what impact, if any, do the midterm elections in Mexico have on uh, President López Obrador's attitude toward the U.S.? We have uh, legislative and governor elections coming up in June, as you know, and uh, those could uh, be crucial in terms of uh, President López Obrador maintaining his majority in Congress and potentially gaining more power uh, with uh, his party possibly picking up more governorships. Yeah, so definitely the midterms that are coming up in, in June are going to be um, extremely important for the Lopez Obrador administration. Um, according to the most recent polls, um, it, it seems that Morena is going to continue to hold on to power. They might reduce the majority that they had, you know, when Lopez Obrador came into power. But it seems that as of now, they're going to be able to maintain uh, a slighter, um, a more diluted majority, but I think it's going to be sufficient for him to, to keep pushing forward uh, his agenda. I think part of the problem in Mexico is that the opposition is very fragmented and they kind of unite in terms of just opposing Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador instead of really proposing uh, an agenda, an alternative way of governing. Um, this alliance that has, you know, struck between the three other major parties, the PRI, the PAN, and the PRD, um, it's an electoral alliance, but there really is no clarity as to how they're going to govern right. once once they win. You know, it's, right? And, okay, and do you do you see yeah. do you see the do you see this affecting the bilateral relationship? The fact that Mexico is basically in campaign mode right now. Yes, of course, and I think that's why we see um, you know Lopez Obrador still pushing what what Luis said. You know, where um, the United States shouldn't meddle in, in their domestic policies. I think this worked a lot to um, Andres Manuel Lopez's favor when Trump was in office because Trump solely focused on the commercial and the migration um, aspects of the bilateral relations. And, and now that Biden is here, you know, that there's, there's this idea that they're going to start um, asking for accountability in, in human rights. There's going to be a push to really make sure that there's um, close monitoring of the new labor rights, the new environmental, um, you know, chapter that's included in the, in the USMCA. And I think that, you know, AMLO has won a lot of support with his electoral base because he's been pushing for national sovereignty, 
that no one intervenes in the domestic issues of Mexico. And I think that that's something he wanted to make clear in yesterday's meeting. Um, and I think that the midterms are going to be important because they're going to be a good, um, you know, measuring tool for Andres Manuel towards the 2024 and what he's going to be able to accomplish. And I think the reason that we're seeing a lot Um, I think Mexican Congress, because there are upcoming elections, um, anything can happen. And I think part of it um, is, you know, to defend itself from a more um, interventionist uh, Biden administration in the near future. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious now to look, uh, to flip it over on the Biden side, what are his motives in uh in, in when he sets out his priorities with with Mexico, what are the things he's most interested, or that he is, uh, you know, has to respond to his base for? Um, uh, Andrew, what do you what do you think Biden is is seeking to get out of this uh, new relationship? Well, I think what what uh, a lot of what my colleagues have said is is, is largely correct. Uh, I think you know Biden is trying his his main priorities right now are immigration uh, and COVID. And those are two issues that I, I think are inextricably linked to Mexico. And so what I think he was looking for is a way to establish lines of, of communication and cooperation. I, I think well aware of the sensitivities in Mexico that Luis and Lila have talked about. I think it was an effort to essentially could think of it as a, a, a gradual run-up to addressing the issues that, that have been raised in, the, the, in this conversation and that will need to come up. I, I think inevitably there will be pressure with respect to labor and the uh, labor provisions in the USMCA. There will be probably more attention on anti-corruption and issues of that nature. But I think the attempt or the effort was to focus maybe initially on the things that are quote-unquote, easier, where, for example, in migration, there's a shared objective. It should be less conflictive than might be some of the other issues, some of the, the trade issues that inevitably come up in a relationship as large as the U.S.-Mexico trade relationship, um, and particularly with respect to some of the legislative proposals that, that Leela mentioned. So I, I think while it, it's true it wasn't the most um, – overwhelming bilateral in terms of the announcements or the initiatives. I think it clearly shows an effort to return to that institutional nature where you have uh, collaboration and coordination uh, among the ministries and the cabinet departments. So I, I think the, I, I think I would sum up the long-winded answer to what was their, what were they trying to do? I think they were trying to get things off on a good foot and not, um, not antagonized in a way that, that uh, I think Luis and Lila suggested was, was something that AMLO was anticipating or, or trying to put a marker down against. Thank you. Um, and Ambassador Wayne, I was struck yesterday looking at the video uh, and photos of the meeting, how many of the people on the uh, Biden side uh, had worked in the Obama administration, on uh, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, Juan Gonzalez. Now, you you served as ambassador to Mexico during the Obama administration. So I'm curious, do you see um, uh, the team uh, coming back? Are we going to see largely a replay of ideas uh, towards Latin America, toward Mexico uh, that occurred during the Obama administration? Or has this team changed in some ways? 
I, I think what we're going to see in this team is a commitment to having an ongoing dialogue and institutions that bring people from both sides together to talk through problems because this team knows the challenges inherent in the relationship and they know the opportunities inherent in that. And I think they've, they've come into power understanding how important Mexico is to the United States and how important the United States is to Mexico and are committed to working on that. And that is one of the somewhat surprising uh, elements when you consider some of the standoffish early uh, signals that came out of Mexico. This is a team that really knows Mexico. Vice President Biden visited Mexico four times. Uh, he knows it well. Uh, Tony Blinken came down with, with him and then came down separately as Secretary of State. And so I think there's, there's a real reservoir of goodwill and understanding of the importance both of the challenges but of the opportunities. And, and that's one of the things that I think is reflected in this starting meeting that they're looking to rebuild that trust and confidence between the two countries. And, and let me just add in that notion, it's really important to remember that in a sense, both countries intervene in the other country every day because of the intensity of this relationship. It's a relationship that is really international and domestic at the same time. Many things that the U.S. does has a big impact in Mexico, and many things that Mexico does is, is in effect interfering in the United States on a regular basis. So it's really it's a false dialogue to try and turn this into who's intervening in my sovereignty or not. As neighbors, that just happens. You have to work that through. And I think the U.S. team understands that and is trying to get to a situation where they can, with confidence, work through these really difficult issues, even if they're politically sensitive in one country or the other. Great. Thanks so much. You know, one of the things that was really uh, noteworthy to me uh, when uh, I talked to Mexican officials last night after the meeting is that two of the real hot-button issues right now did not come up, apparently, or not in any a significant way at the meeting, and that is security and energy. Those topics were really not discussed uh, yesterday. And I'm curious, uh, those are obviously potential sources of great friction. So I'm wondering how much of a problem are they likely to be uh, between these two uh, new administrations? Um, Dr. Rubio, what do you think? Well, it seems to me that uh, Ambassador Wayne just gave you the answer. The, the, uh, the Biden administration understands full well what the issues are and the complexity and the kind of counterparts they are dealing with. And what they were trying to do was to allay the fears on the Mexican side and try to maintain a neutral and positive tone to the, to the conversation. But the complexity of the relationship is not going to budge, uh, and that's we are going to have issues every single day. We have issues every single minute. There are endless number of transactions, interchanges every day. Um, if we use the, the word intervention, which, which Ambassador Wayne used, um, uh, it's, it's, it's true happening on both sides, but both sides take it very differently. And this is ultimately a, a relationship of, of, of equals in one sense, but with very asymmetrical results. 
is just a change in 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 one variable for instance in the exchange rate in mexico can can destroy uh, the economy overnight or in a few minutes uh, that's not true the other way around so minor decisions like um, what might appear to be minor decisions like stopping imports into the US from from Mexico that president trump uh, threatened uh, is something that can have dramatic uh, implications for the mexican economy that's something that the other way around doesn't 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 uh, happen so the point is the the future is going to be much more complicated than than we uh, might assume for one simple reason we no longer share both sides of the border no longer share a common vision for the future that's something that did exist from the 1980s through uh the the, the 2016 with president uh, trump's uh, incoming administration up till then for those 30 years we shared a common vision of the future that no longer is true we are back to to the permanent bickering that existed before that that time Thank you. Wow, that's a fairly sobering assessment. Um, uh, Ambassador Wayne, I wondered, uh, as Ambassador, you certainly know how uh, uh, persistent the issue of security is, how uh, much it can flare up, um, whether it's, um, you know, massacres or uh, arrests by the U.S. or whatever. How do you see the security relationship um, developing between these two countries? Well, I think it's going to take a lot of investment to rebuild confidence on both sides of the border. And what's going to make us do that investing, I believe, are the number of people being killed and suffering tied to this violence, tied to this drug smuggling, tied to the effects of drug addiction on both sides of the border. It's expected this year that we're going to set a record in the United States for death by drug overdoses. And, and probably if you put in there people who were saved from death at the last minute by emergency intervention, it'll be a much higher number. And if you look at, at Mexico, you've had a pretty state, a pretty steady level, a very high level of homicides over the last three years. Um, it came down a little teeny bit in the last year, but 150, uh, which is doesn't really count. There's a serious problem in both countries tied to illicit commerce, tied to drug smuggling, tied to arms smuggling, tied to the money that you make selling drugs in the United States. And that needs to be dealt with by a comprehensive strategy. Neither country can solve it on their own. And it is it just makes such sense to find ways to go forward and deepen that cooperation if you care about your own citizens. And I th I hope that the authorities on both sides will find a way to do that. But I think that it's going to be important. It's going to be on the agenda. Um, but it's clear that in this first meeting, there was a, a, an effort to work on a couple of other priority issues and get, get cooperation going there. But certainly, security is on the agenda. Thank you. Um, we are just about out of time. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up with, uh, with Andrew. Um, it, Andrew, it seems like uh, migration has uh, emerged as such an important issue to uh, certainly to the Biden administration. Do you see 
the possibility of real progress in the next couple of months? Do you see the possibility of breakthroughs, or what are the risks that, uh, that, that could emerge uh, in the next few months? Right. Well, I, you know, I, migration in, in terms of achieving the, the Biden administration's success, I, I think more of the uh, more of the responsibility is going to lie here in the states with the U.S. Congress and what um, what they're able to do uh, in, in terms of enacting the legislation that they have proposed. I think one important step where the bilateral relationship matters and where Mexico can help is with that effort to focus on the root causes and trying to promote development in Central America and Southern Mexico so that people do not feel the the pull so much to come to the United States. That's obviously not something you can fix overnight, but I think that would be an important step. It might help uh, here in the U.S. to demonstrate that uh, there is, in fact, an effort to slow the, the flow of migration. I think that uh, Secretary Mayorkas's comments yesterday were were right on. This is a really complicated problem. It was it was quite a mess, and it is not something that can be resolved quickly. Uh, you know, you have thousands of people in in uh, camps in pretty squalid conditions in Mexico, and and it's in both countries' interest, obviously, to uh, have those people. Uh, processed and either uh, given lawful entry into the United States or or returned to their homes if for some reason they're not allowed to enter the U.S. Um, so it, it is obviously a big challenge, but as I said before, I think it's one area where the visions are still still common. So to uh, steal a line from Luis, I, I think that's one area where there is a common view and, and um that also perhaps makes it one area where you can start uh, with a confidence-building measure. If you can cooperate on migration, that might give you confidence to cooperate on some of the more complicated issues that we discussed earlier today. Great. Um, well, I'd like to thank our uh, our speakers, Andrew Redman, Ambassador Anthony Wayne, uh, Dr. Luis Rubio, and Lila Abel, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for your participation. Participants, you may disconnect at this time.